You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right. Well, church, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to take just even that Black Pew Bible there right in front of you. Turn to page 956 as we're able to follow along uh, just with us this morning. Which is something that you guys can be praying for. Um, this afternoon, uh, me and my two daughters, Maddie and Kenna, are heading to summer camp. Um, they are going for a week of camp, and I'm going up to be their speaker for the week. So uh, there'll be about 75, 7 to 10-year-olds. So I'm not sure if you guys want to pray for, for me or pray for them who have to listen to me like nine times or whatever. But we would definitely appreciate, uh, appreciate your prayers. We're looking forward to that. But in 1986, the Beastie Boys came out with their hit song, Fight for Your Right. Some of you guys probably have that song in your head now, right? <laughs> Be honest. You got to fight for your right to party. So it's a song about having the right to have fun, not being told what to do. You can grow your hair out as long as you want, and you don't have to do your homework. So I remember as, as a teenager, listen, like I, I was one when the Beastie Boys came out with the song. But I remember as a teen getting my hands on it and thinking, yes, this is, this is it. Loved it. I remember blaring it in my room until my mom told me to turn it down, and, which I promptly did. I put on my PJs, brushed my teeth, and went right to bed. So sorry, Beastie Boys. I failed you, brothers. But... Like most of us, the Corinthian church was struggling with this idea of how to exercise their rights. On 1 Corinthians 8, which Pastor Mike talked about last week, they brought up the question, okay, what do we do about food offered to idols? Don't we have a right to do that? And Paul spent those 13 verses last week in 1 Corinthians 8 really breaking down that, listen, you have every right to eat meat offered to idols. Because those gods, those idols represent, don't even exist. But Paul reminds us of something. That with our rights also comes responsibility. That we are actually responsible for how we exercise our rights and how those rights will impact other people. Because you see, in chapter 8, Paul focused on our responsibility to believers. In chapter 9, Paul focuses on our responsibility to those far from God. As we'll see today as we walk through this portion of Scripture, Paul actually, actually uses a personal example. His refusal for, for financial support in Corinth as an example of what it looks like to give up our rights. Now listen, I get it. There's probably some of you thinking right now, I hate these kind of messages. There, there's this tension within our, that has been built within our culture of the rights that we have. I'm an American. People have fought for my rights. Um, I have the right to do whatever I want. And culture also tells us as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, you can do, again, whatever you please. So these discussions, last week we felt that tension, this week we're going to feel that tension as well. This topic is, al is always filled with tension around it. And listen, and if you're struggling here today, don't tune me out. 
let's see what God's word actually has to say about this. But if you're here today and you think, Paul, why should I be the one to surrender something? Paul, why is it on me to think of other people, especially those who don't even know Christ yet? Paul will show us today that God calls us to surrender our rights for the sake of others and for the spread of the gospel. That church, that there is something bigger than ourselves. And there are times in our lives where, where we are called to lay down the rights that God has given to us for the sake of other people and for the spread of the good news of Jesus. And by the end of, by the end of, end of today, we're going to see Paul clearly state those things. So our time this morning in the portion, Paul does two things. First, Paul develops this thought by defending his right to receive financial support in Corinth. But then he points us to what drove him to refuse that right later on. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into this portion of Scripture together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much, God, for your word. God, thank you, Lord, for how timely it is. Thank you, God, that even though it was written over some parts over 2,000 years ago, Father, it, it speaks to our hearts even today. It speaks to uh, the, the time, Lord, that we live in. It speaks to our culture, Father. God, and I feel like 1 Corinthians 9 is just one of those instances, God, where, where even 2,000 years ago, since 2,000 years have passed, Lord, since this was first written, God, it still applies so much to our day and age today. God, I pray, Lord, that we would learn to live our lives, God, God, with hands open, Lord, to the rights, God, that, that we've been given. We're thankful for them, Father. We appreciate what has been done. But, God, Lord, there are certain times where we, have to, where we can live open-handed, God, and give those rights up. God, and I pray, Lord, I pray, God, that we would see a vision of that today. God, go before me as I speak. God, I pray, Lord, that you would... Use my feeble attempts, God, in a way that would honor and glorify your son, Jesus, that people wouldn't leave here today thinking about how, how an illustration stuck or, or any kind of way that things were structured or outlined, God, but people would walk away seeing how good you are to them and seeing, God, how much honor Jesus should have in our lives. So God, Lord, just watch over our time as we dig into your word today. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So church, this portion could be broken down, all these 18 verses can be broken down into really two sections. The first 14 verses, Paul defends his rights to get paid. We're going to see that Paul deserved to get paid, to have financial supports. So Paul begins by listing five reasons why he has the right to get paid for his ministry in Corinth. So he wants us to understand. He's not saying, hey, just, just give up your rights. Just, just put them all aside. Paul wants to give a personal, personal example that he actually practices what he preaches. So Paul gives us a personal example of, of, of an illustration of how Paul was willing to lay down his own rights. So the first reason was his position as an apostle. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 
Are not you my workmanship in, in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you, are, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So Paul says, listen. Paul asks these questions that point to the fact that he has every right to get, to get the support that he deserves. He was free. He was allowed to have that right. He was free to exercise that right. He was an apostle. He had been someone commissioned by God to go preach the gospel and plant churches. Um, he had seen Jesus, Jesus our Lord, face to face. And he had been commissioned on the road to Damascus to preach the gospel. He checked every single mark when it comes to someone as an apostle. He says, listen, my position as an apostle gives me the right to be paid by you guys. And in verses 3 through 6, Paul says, as an apostle, I've been given certain rights. Paul says in verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So again, Paul is asking questions. Paul builds this argument here. He says, don't I have the right? And I want you to, just for the sake of understanding his argument here, I want you to add the phrase, at the expense of the church, to every single one of those questions. Don't I have the right to eat and drink at the expense of the church? Don't I have the right to take along a believing wife and have her needs be provided for as well at the expense of the church? Or is it only Barnabas and I? who don't have the right to, to refrain from working full-time at the expense of the church. Listen, this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Anytime I have to talk about money or offering, it's uncomfortable for me. And it's probably un uncomfortable for you guys. We'll just get it out there. Let's just say it out loud. This is uncomfortable. Can we say that? This is uncomfortable. You guys watching online, this is uncomfortable for me. But listen, Paul is building an argument. And we'll see by the end that actually pastors being paid is, is, is a biblical thing. Now listen, they should be paid at a reasonable rate. We're not talking about making it rain. We're not talking about buying personal jets. We're not talking about any of those things, buying huge houses. But I think there's biblical precedence that God's people support God's work. And so Mike, Dan, and myself, and the rest of our team here, like we work really hard of having integrity when it comes to finances. Now listen, and the, the church isn't here to make anyone rich, but the church isn't here to make anyone poor. And I just want to say, like, you guys have done an amazing job of making sure our needs are met. And so I just want to get it out there. Listen, finances are, are uncomfortable, I get it. But Paul uses it for a specific purpose here. And I just want to before we got too, too deep into it, we, we need to understand that. So Paul's saying again, I have the right at the expense of the church to have all of these needs met. I have the right. Paul has the right to have his physical needs met by the church. Paul has the right to, if he, if, if he had a wife, Paul didn't at this point. But if he had, like, like people like Peter would bring his wife along. And if they had a family, they'd bring the family along as well. And so where they minister to, those people would provide for those needs. And Paul says, I have the right to all of that. So 
the one I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle of Jesus. That that should say something. But then he goes on and continues to explain why he deserves to get paid with four other examples. The next reason is simply common practice. Verse 7 says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And so what, what Paul is saying here is like, listen, this is just common practice. And he uses three examples, soldiers, farmers, and shepherds. And he says, listen, if a, if a soldier joins the army, the army is going to provide for his needs. He doesn't go there on his own expense. If, if, if a farmer works a field, he expects to have some of that harvest. If a shepherd is watching over a flock of sheep, he deserves to have some of that milk. And so what's, what Paul is getting at here is like it's just common practice that when you work, you receive a paycheck. How many of you, on a weekly or bi-weekly, wherever you get paid, you look forward to payday. Yeah, it's a normal thing, right? I don't think any of you would come into work on whatever your payday is and say, darn, they paid me again. No, that's why you're there. That's normally how it works. Maybe you have an awesome job where you just go in and volunteer all of your time, but for the most of us, no, we expect we work hard for a paycheck. This is how work happens. So Paul says this is just common practice. When people put in a hard day's work, they expect to get paid. You receive a paycheck. You expect to get paid. Why shouldn't people that are working at shepherding your souls enjoy that same benefit? So this is common practice. People get paid at work. But secondly, there is biblical precedence. Verses 8 through 11, Paul says, So do I say these things on human authority only? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it, treads out, when it treads out the grain. And is it for oxen that God is concerned? Again, we're not calling us animals. But listen, the, the, this is what Paul is getting at. Does he not certainly speak for our own sake? For it is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the, thresher, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you as well? So Paul says, listen, there is biblical precedent, Old Testament law. Um, Paul, is, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament here, and he says, listen, the ox should be able to eat crops in the field as it works. As, as those large animals were pulling wagons, whatever they were in the field, to help harvest that crop. They weren't to muzzle their mouths. They should be able to eat as they go. And so Paul relates that to, to, to his ministry as well. As they work, as they minister among, as they administered among the Corinthian people, they deserve to have their needs met. You see that from, again, the Old Testament law. They shouldn't worry about whether their physical needs would be met. Spiritual labor should be met with physical blessing. But he goes on. He says, not only is it common practice, not only is there biblical precedence, but in verse 13 we see that there is Jewish custom there. Verse 13 says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. So he said, this is, this is how God designed 
his, for his priests to be taken care of. When people would bring, a, bring an offering, a sacrifice to God, whether it be grain, whether it, it would be meat, the priests would actually take a portion of that for themselves. And they weren't being selfish. They weren't being, you know, um, they weren't being sneaky about it. This is what God actually designed for them. This is how he made sure that their needs were met. If, they, if people brought an offering of meat or a sacrifice, they would take this fork and they'd stick it in, stick it in the pot. Whenever they would pull out, that was for them and for their family. Or if someone brought grain to the altar, they would take a portion of that grain to provide for them and their family. So again, this isn't unethical. This isn't, this isn't being sneaky. We're not talking about embezzling money here. This is just how God designed for his ministers to be taken care of. There was Jewish custom behind it. And lastly, finally, if none of those above made it clear enough, Paul points to Christ's command. In verse 14, it says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. This is what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, actually commanded his people to do. In Luke chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus is getting ready for, um, to send his disciples out on, on a missionary journey to, to preach the gospel to the surrounding towns. This is what he tells them. He says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Jesus actually said, hey, don't take extra money. Don't take extra sandals. Don't take extra clothes. Don't do any of that. Wherever you're staying and ministering to, those people should provide for your needs. And so he said, yes, it's, it is an act of faith. But, God, but Jesus said, this is how I want you to minister. And it, it's okay to, to expect to have your needs provided by the people that you're ministering to. So listen, Paul deserved to get paid. Paul just made this argument over the last 14 verses. He gave us five reasons why he deserved to get paid, that that was his right. And as I worked through this, part of me is like, man, why did you, you have to spend 14 verses on this? Paul's, Paul's doing it for a, for a purpose. Because some people think when we talk about laying down our rights, we're talking about rights that we really don't have in the first place, that we really don't deserve. But Paul wanted, wanted to make it very, very clear that this is a right that he deserved as an apostle, as biblical precedent, as common practice, as Jewish custom, and, and as Christ's command. This is something that he deserved. Now, again, it's something he deserved. This isn't about us. This isn't about our team today. This is just what the Bible, the next passage in Corinthians, has to say. But even though Paul deserved to get paid, he chose to surrender that right. And, we, and you think, I struggle with this. Says, Paul, why would you work harder than you have to? Paul, why not just get the money that was rightfully yours? But while Paul deserved to get paid, he was driven by greater pri priorities. And we understand that there is something else driving Paul here. And I just want to bring up two, two things for you today as, as we finish up. And for me, these verses are the most important verses on, uh, of this entire passage. And so I, I, want, I want you to pay attention to what drove Paul to be willing to give up those rights. And the first one is found in the second half of verse 12. 
It says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put, put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, listen, the first thing, the first reason that drives me to give up the right to get paid is that I have a greater mission. I have a greater purpose. See, the first thing that drove Paul's surrender of his rights was the mission he had been given. In church, according to our culture, what, what is our mission? What are we here to do? According to our culture, this is really good Sunday school answers, what, what does our culture want us to do? What is our right? You know, American dream, right? Freedom, happiness, I want to build as much as I can, I want to get as much stuff, I want to, I want to get as many rights as I deserve. But Paul is saying, listen, we do not live by that mission. We've been called to a greater purpose and a greater mission than just simply to live lives of comforts, power, success, and wealth. Our job, Paul's job, is to glorify God and point people to Jesus. We have a greater mission. So the mission of a follower of Jesus is to be an ambassador representing Christ to a world that does not know God and do whatever we can to help people find and follow Jesus. So Paul would do whatever it took not to be an obstacle between someone and the gospel. And so this is what Paul did. Whenever Paul came to a new town, a new city, and began sharing the gospel, maybe for the very first time that city has ever heard about the good news of Jesus, Paul would do two things. One, Paul would work with his hands. Paul was a tent maker. And so he would work at, he would work, work at, that, at that trade day and night. In Acts chapter 18, when Paul arrived in Corinth, he says he met up with a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who were also tent makers. And so he began working, working that job with them. And Paul says in, in, in his other writings, listen, we didn't take a free meal from any of you. We worked day and night so that we wouldn't burden you. So Paul worked with his hands. Paul, Paul, not only did he spend his time preaching the gospel, but he also worked full time to be, able to, to be able to not put a hindrance between someone and believing the good news of Jesus. The second thing Paul did was that he raised support from other churches. It's not saying that Paul, Paul's saying here that Paul didn't receive money from the Corinthians, but Paul did receive money from, from the other churches that he'd already been to, that had been established, um, that, that had not only heard the gospel, but they've grown in their faith. And, 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 and often Paul would gain, gain a collection from those people so that they could go to new cities and tell new people about the good news of Jesus. Basically how missionaries work today for the most part, uh, we have missionaries come in, come in here often who go, who are, who are on deputation, who are raising support, raising funds so that they can go somewhere and preach the gospel freely. Just think about something for a moment with me. What would happen if God calls you to, to Africa and you go over and you, you, know, you, you hear that call you surrendered to the Lord, and you go to whatever country that is, and you begin presenting the gospel. What happens when that first person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and you hand them a bill? Hey, you receive Christ now. You're called 
to pay, to provide for me now. How would that go over? You see, the practice of other religious teachers, the practice of, of Greek philosophers, the practice of so many other people, the reason why so many other people have such a bad taste in their mouth about, about, about Scripture and about, about the church is that they believe all the church wants is their money. And so some, someone comes in and preaches the gospel, and then, you know, week one is John, John 3.16. Week two is, is another passage on giving. What did you, why did you share the good news with me? Is it just for my money? Is all you want, is, all you want is, is to take my money from me so that you can have something, so that your needs can be provided for? That would stand as an obstacle between people and the good news of Jesus. As word went, went, went around the African village that all this, guy is here, all, all this guy wants is your money, how would that impact the message of Christ moving forward? It would hinder it. It would put an obstacle. It would, it would put something in between people knowing Jesus and not. See, church, here's the point. Our actions should never stand in the way of someone believing the gospel. That we should be willing to maybe lay down some of our rights, as Paul just explained, so that someone could have a free access to the good news of Jesus. The word obstacle there literally means to break down the road. It means that as, as a, an enemy army was, was invading a city, what, what the people would do, that they would actually break up the road, the access to the city, to, to deter the people from coming any closer. Paul says we don't want to break down the road between someone and the good news of Jesus. So Paul says, I am willing to work hard. I am willing to raise support so that finances is never an issue for someone coming to faith and, tr faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I will do whatever I can to make that not happen. But then Paul says one th another thing in verses 15 through 18. Paul says that not only do we have a greater mission, but we have a greater re reward. Let's read verses 15 through 18. It says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I love that. Paul says, listen, I'm not writing this to you now so that you can start giving me money. This, this isn't the reason why I'm writing. He says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Remember, Paul had been called to preach the gospel. He had to do it. So woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. I've still been given the mission of presenting the gospel. But then, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. There's a couple words I want you to notice there. There's a lot there, but notice these two words, boasting and reward. See, what Paul is talking about, Paul speaks of his boasting and reward. Paul isn't boasting about himself. I don't think he is. I think he's bragging about the goodness and faithfulness of God, that God always came through for him when he needed it. Because I think, I'm telling you, one of the most scary things about surrendering my rights, well, if I'm not going to fight for my rights, who will? 
If I'm not going to hold on to my rights with all that I have, who's going to do that for me? Who's going to provide for my needs? I can't imagine Paul going into a brand new city and understanding, listen, I'm going to start from scratch here, and it's going to be hard. And not, not only is this ministering and witnessing to, to people who do not know Jesus, not only is that hard, but I also have to now work full time as well. But I think in those moments, God showed up. Remember, it's Paul who wrote in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This came from Paul's pen. Part of Paul's boasting was while he voluntarily gave up his rights for, for financial support, God never showed himself to be unfaithful. Time and time again, God met Paul's needs. And sometimes God worked by giving Paul the strength to work late into the, late into the night making tents. Other times, God moved other Christians to donate to Paul's ministry. Other times, it was people opening up their homes for Paul to stay in. But every single time, God showed up. Church, many of us have been so preoccupied with holding on to our rights that we have that we have given up the opportunity, opportunity to see God work in our lives. We work so hard to make sure that we are comfortable, to make sure that, that there's never any risk involved. And all that time, God is saying, don't you know I'm going to provide for you? Don't you know that I'm going to, that I'm going to, to, to care for you? Don't you know that, that I love you? And don't you know that every single time we step out in faith for Jesus Christ, God sees it and he knows it and he will, he will provide for our every single need that we have. That is, that is the thrust of what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That God is trustworthy and faithful. And he will meet us at our point of need. And he will work in ways that we would never imagine or understand. I know some of your stories here. I've seen God work in your lives. I've seen times where, where you, you've decided to maybe take a pay cut to stay in the area. I've seen some of you downsize your home so that you could better use your resources for the kingdom of God. I've seen some of you restructure your families so that you could foster a child or bring someone else into your family that needs care right then and there. Every time we step out in faith and surrender one of our rights, God is right there with us. And when we lay down our rights, God will do the same thing for us today. And this promise is one that Jesus gives in Matthew 6.33. It says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus here in this verse takes our culture and our values and our freedoms and flips it on its head. See, our culture will tell you, no, 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 first thing you do, you make sure that you have six to eight months saved up. So in case you lose your job, you have plenty of cushion." The first thing you do is make sure that you have a fully funded IRA. The first thing you do is that you make sure that you have 40% down on your house before you buy it. 
And all, listen, those things are fine and they're wise. I get it. But when was the last time you put the kingdom of God first? When was the last time you said, the world thinks this is crazy, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to seek your kingdom first because the promise is at the end here. It says, and all these things will be added to you. Church, that's the goal. That's the thrust behind 1 Corinthians 9. It's not about making sure your pastor is paid. It's about the idea that we serve a, we have a greater mission to point people to Jesus Christ and to do whatever we can so that nothing stands in the way of that. We have a greater reward that our Father promises that when we step out in faith, He's going to provide for our every need. So listen, at a group this size, I cannot address every single way that this applies to our lives today. But I just want to give you a few that all of us can do here as a church. And it's these things. Let me ask you a few questions. One, am I willing to give up my pew or my parking spot for the sake of others? Just got real, real quick. But listen, most people, when they check out a church for the very first time, you, you know where, you know where they're, they're going to sit? One, they're, they're normally going to come in late. They, they want to be able to come in and, and sit and not be noticed too much. And they want to be able to leave early as well. And so I've seen in some churches, they have the first two rows for first-time guests because we want to give them the best seat in the house. That is the worst seat in the house for them. That is the last thing they want to do is be all the way up front. So am I willing to give up my pew for someone else? And am I willing to give up my parking spot? Listen, God has blessed us with Penn State in so many ways. Um, That parking lot on Sunday morning, that first lot is filled, and we're kind of going into that second lot now. Let me just ask you, if you are able to, are you willing to begin parking over there? Let me give you a little secret. Wherever you put, sometimes parking there is closer than parking all the way in that corner all the way over there. I've counted the steps. It's true. <laughs> listen, if you're able to, I'm not saying, listen, if you got like, you got four kids under the age of four, please park here. Like, we don't want you or them getting hit by a car or anything else. Listen, but if you are able to, am I willing to park over there? Am I willing to give up my pew so that someone else can come in and hear the gospel for the very first time? Secondly, am I willing to serve in a ministry on Sunday, even if it means me missing the service? Listen, as our church grows, Pastor Dan talked about it this morning, as our church grows, we will continue to need people willing to step up to rock babies, to invest in kids, and to, to be part of, be part of to come early and be a greeter or, or an usher to help kids get checked in. Am I willing, maybe give up one or two Sundays a month so that someone else can hear the gospel for the very first time? Am I willing to work in the nursery so that parents know that their kids are cared for? And instead of thinking about 
Should I have left my kids back there? They can think about, what does this message tell me about who God is and my need for a Savior? Am I willing to give up maybe one or two Sundays so that I could serve someone else? And lastly, am I willing to go out of my comfort zone? Listen, one of the things I love about our church, and it happened well before uh, myself and Dan and Mike came, something that actually Pastor Terry, I think, really fostered here, was this, this really welcoming culture. And that is something I do not want us to lose. I love the fact that I come in on a Sunday and I just see different people talking to people that I know have never met before. Or see people walk across the aisle and shake someone's hand and introduce themselves. Or maybe they're talking after the service. That's something we don't want to lose. So church, am I willing to step out of my comfort zone, pursue other people that I don't know, introduce myself, have a conversation, possibly invite them for a meal? But let's start small. Simply saying hi, making them feel welcome. Those things go a long way. Let me tell you, tell you a little secret. Most people, they make a decision on whether or not they come back to a church a minute or two before, a minute or two after they come in. Before they hear any worship music, before they hear the pastor preach, it literally is the people that greet them at the door, the people that, the people that come over and shake their hands, and the people that bring their kids back into the kids' areas. That's when they make their choice. So church, my challenge for you today is let's make this happen. Let's be willing to give someone else my pew and my parking spot. Let's be willing to serve on Sunday. Let's be willing to go out of my comfort zone. They get it. I love it. So as I call the praise and the prayer team up, let me, let me remind you of one thing. Whatever God calls you to do, no, you're not doing it alone today, guys. Whatever God is putting on your heart right now, this, you are not alone in doing it. Because remember, our Savior, Jesus Christ, gave up his rights in glory to come down to earth. He obeyed the Father, and he served us by surrendering his rights for the sake of others and for the spread of the gospel. So as God calls you to deny yourself, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So take that step of surrender. Trust that God will provide. And leave the rest to our Heavenly Father. Let's stand and I'll pray and we're going to sing one more song. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for passages, hard passages, God, like 1 Corinthians 9. God, that just speak to our hearts that unveil the selfishness that many of us have, God, including myself. That I would rather hold on to my rights, God, instead of surrendering them. I would rather get my way instead of giving it to someone else. I would rather, God, think about myself and my family instead of others, God. But you've called us to something different. We have a greater mission. We have a greater reward. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give people courage to deny themselves today and in the weeks to come. God, I pray, Lord, that, that you give them faith to step out when it doesn't seem wise for the sake of the kingdom. And I pray, God, that you would come through for them and meet their needs 
And so the next time they come across an area of surrender, they're going to trust you enough to do it yet again and again and again. Because God, because that's what you promised. That's what you said. God, thank you, Lord, for the, for, the, for the greater example you've given. You left your throne in heaven to come down to live a mediocre life. God, that ended in a horrible death so that we could have eternal life today. You took our sin upon yourself. That was not yours, God. You did not have that right, God, but you allowed it to happen for the sake of others. God, may that be our example May that be our motivation moving forward, that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus today in this matter, God. God, thank you for this dear body of believers and the ways that they have stepped out for you already. I pray, God, that we would just continue taking up our cross and following after your son Jesus and denying ourselves each and every day. God, we're going to praise you for it. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.